Join us at Only Believe for two Christmas Eve services on Saturday, December 24th, one at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m., featuring Christmas music, communion, and of course, a beautiful candlelight to end these services. We will also be having church Christmas morning at 10 a.m. Come early for seasonal treats. Your whole family is invited. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jesse DePlanis. I'm coming to Only Believe Church right there in Botkins, Ohio, January the 7th at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday, January the 8th at 10 a.m. We're going to have a glorious time around the throne of God. I always start my year off of 2023 right there at Only Believe Church in Botkins, Ohio. I love Peter and Phyllis Dozak. They're just such blessing of the Lord. Let me say it one, one more time. We will be there January the 7th at 6.30 p.m. on a Saturday night and Sunday morning, January the 8th at 10 a.m. Bring a friend, share a miracle, and watch God do some wonderful things. See you soon. Bye-bye. Good evening, everyone. How are you tonight? Good. Turn and look at your neighbors. They're kind of spread out. Give them a wave. Yeah, there they are. Hey, live streamers, we're glad you joined us tonight. And if you're a first-time guest, thank you for being here. Welcome to our family. This is a friendly and awesome place to be out in the Welcome Center. Make sure you stop out there and talk to them, and they'll find some ways for you to get connected. We love having you here. Thank you. A couple important things I want to make sure you know about. Um, the 21 Days of Prayer begins January 8th. Are you guys ready for New Year? No, I don't think I am either. I'm not sure I'm ready for Christmas, and that's like, how many days till Christmas? It's really soon. Um, but 21 Days of Prayer begins January 8th, and that will be on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday evenings, 8 a.m., no, 6, 6 to 7 p.m., Saturdays, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. I knew I was going to do that. So sorry. Um, but please join us for 21 days of focusing on getting your new year started, soaked in prayer, and prepared to um, serve the Lord throughout the year. Um, since Christmas is coming up, there's something I was thinking about the other day, and I talked to the kids back in Slam about it, and it was about the wise men who traveled to see Jesus. Um, as you know, the wise men did not arrive at the manger scene like we see so commonly portrayed of them coming in on camels. They did travel a great distance, and so they didn't get to see Jesus until he was probably almost a year old. But what prompted them to leave was the sight of a new star. And what I was telling our kids back in Slam is that they were scholars of the stars, and the stars were maps, and that's how they traveled. And so they noticed this new star, and they knew that it meant something important. And so these guys didn't just think, oh, wow, that's cool. There must be something happening. They searched. They searched through ancient um, literature and writings to find out what was this star supposed to mean. And it led them to conclude that there was a king that had been born. And why we call them the wise men, I think, is because they were full of knowledge that they had pursued intentionally. And so as you are starting your new year, how can you pursue God intentionally? How can you be like the wise men and seek after him? Christ says, if you seek me, you will find me. And that he longs for us to have a relationship with him and that we need to be seeking him every single day. So you can also do that here with the 21 days of prayer, kind of get that new year refocus. But be like the wise men. Don't just notice something and then move by. Search for it. Search for the truth in that. All right, I think we're ready to have some worship tonight. 
I'm going to start us off with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that you have brought us together just before Christmas so that we can start the season with our hearts on you, prepared to give you our very best, Lord. And as you gifted us, your son, on Christmas, Lord, we gift you our hearts and our service tonight. Thank you for your presence here in Jesus' name. Stand up and join me in worship. Yeah. 
Spirit wasn't moving over the 
was waiting for the sign from above. But I'm thankful to be able to take up the offering tonight. That's one thing I enjoy. My When I was growing up, my parents and grandparents taught us to work, to save, to give, and to be thankful. And just last Sunday, I was thinking about when I was saved, the first Sunday night of November 1969, I was saved in the pastor's house, Dennis Rockwell, who pastored Neptune Baptist Church. How many of you know where Neptune is? Some of you know. It's about four and a half miles west of St. Mary's on 33. But uh, the pastor that led me to the Lord, he was there about six months and he moved on. So they had hired this man to be pastor. His name was Barry. And he was in his late 30s, had a wife and three kids. And he was going to Church of God Bible College in Anderson, Indiana. So he was driving there every Sunday, every Wednesday night. And he had an old 63 Plymouth that was wore out and rusted out. And the one Sunday, um, after they took up the regular offering, one of the deacons got up and said, well, Pastor Barry's starter is going out on his old Plymouth, so we're going to take up a spatial offering at the end of the service so he can go to the junkyard and buy a used starter, and we're going to loan him the ramps and some tools and some overalls so he can crawl underneath and he can change that starter. And I said to myself, you got to watch what you think because there's somebody listening. And I said to myself, good Lord, those people are cheap. They are so cheap, 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 cheap. And so God said to me, well, why don't you do something about it? And, and, I, and, you know, and I said, well, what do you want me to do? And he said, why don't you give him your car? I said, I like that car. Sometimes he calls you, calls you to give something up that you like. I had a 62 Olds Dynamic 88, baby blue with the blue top, white wall tires, nice wheel covers. A rich little old lady owned it. Always kept it waxed in the garage and uh, only drove it to church and the doctor's office and the grocery. But so I said, I'll do it. So at the end of the service, I handed him the keys to my car, and I said, you're going to have to take me home because God called me to give you my car. But God has always blessed us. He's always met every need. What I'm going to share with you tonight is a familiar verse of Scripture, but you, you may not have heard it like I'm going to share it with you. In the book of Malachi, chapter 3, beginning of verse 6, there are actually five different points to it. Now, have you ever bought something and after you get it home, you look on a box and a small print says, some assembly required. And did you ever say, I don't have time to read those. I'll just look at the pictures and put it together. You get it together and you got a part or two left over and it doesn't work. So then you got to start over. Well, this is like an instruction manual. So I'm going to share with you all five par parts. The first one says, beginning verse six, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed even from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances. Have not kept them. Return unto me, I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you said, where shall we return? Okay, part number one, then, is verses 89, 8 and 9, where he says, Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you're cursed with a curse. 
for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. So then he tells them the solution, which is part beginning part two. It says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now. Hear what saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive. There's been times when I had a great financial need and I would send in a right on my check, prove me offering. And then it goes on in verse, uh, verse 11, here's, here's part three. And he says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time of the field, saith the Lord. And 1988, there was a great drought and the farmers were suffering. I know when we went up by Cedar Point that summer, the crops were about this high and they were all dead. But ours were looking sad, but they weren't dead. But every day I would go out and I would read that verse of scripture to those crops. I'd say, hear what saith the Lord, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast a fruit before the time of the field, saith the Lord of hosts. I said, crops, you are not going to die. I don't care what the weather forecast looks like. I don't care what your droopy leaves look like. You are not going to die because God said so. I'm a tithe payer, and your crops are not going to die. And the 1st of July came. We came home from church. We'd gone to church on Sunday night, came home, and we'd been, I'd been looking at the forecast. No rain, no rain, no rain. But after we came home, got home from church, just got in the house, and the heavens opened up. Heavens opened up. Thank God I could hear it beating on the roof. And God saved our crop. It wasn't a bumper crop, but it was a good crop. And we were able to not only uh, pay off our bills, but pay our tithes and had a little bit left over. And so, so there's times sometimes we need, to, we need to stand on God's word and stand on it. When it looks like the enemy's coming in like a flood and, and he's going to destroy your family, you just get up and say, no, you're not. No, you're not. He may be screaming in your ear, you're going to die. It's no, no, I'm not. I remember when I had, uh, in 2018, we went to Cedar Point and I was suffering. My neck was stiff. I couldn't move my neck, it hurt so bad. And I just kept standing on God's word and in my mind I was, I was quoting Psalm 103, I was quoting, quoting, Isaiah, quoting Isaiah 53. And I remember we were there, the last day we were there, we went up to our motel room, tried to take a nap right after lunch. While my grandson and his mom and dad went down to the beach. And I'm rubbing my neck, I'm trying to get some relief. It hurts so bad. And I heard a little voice said, John, you know what that is? And I said, no, what is that? And that little voice said, well, you know how Jesus healed your back of degenerative disc disease? And he did. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, now it's in your neck. They're going to have to fuse your vertebrae. You're not going to be able to move your neck. And I said, well, you lying devil. No, they're not. I said, I'm in the right place at the right time. And after we ate dinner there, we went back to the park for the last time. Cedar Point and my grandson's daddy's a Dayton police officer and, and I said uh, I want to ride that Steel Vengeance roller coaster he said I'll ride it with you and so we walked up there and there's the big sign now the Steel Vengeance roller coaster in 2018 was voted as the fastest roughest 
wildest roller coaster in the United States. And there was a big sign, warning. If you have neck trouble, back trouble, heart trouble, or you're pregnant, do not ride this ride. And so as we were walking up, I said, that's what I wanted. As we're walking up the ramp, I heard a voice say, don't go down that ride. You're going to be paralyzed from the neck down. They're going to carry you off here with a stretcher. And I said, no, they're not, you lying devil. I rebuke in the name of Jesus. I curse the curse. We got on a steel vengeance roller coaster, put on the seat belt, pulled down the bar. It goes click, 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 like this. And as it goes down the first hill, there's a real short hill, and it just threw me up against the bar and the seat belt. And I heard this crack, and I said, oh, thank God it doesn't hurt anymore. Uh, sometimes you just, the devil tries to lie to you. You just say, well, you lying devil. No, they're not. But so that's it. I spoke to the crops. Verse, the part, verse 12 is uh, the fourth part. All nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. And then 13, 14, and 15 is the disclaimer. You ever watch those, you know, you're watching TVs, and here comes all the drug commercials on, and they're playing the nice music, and the people are smiling how happy it is they're taking this drug. And then they get real quiet, and they tell you the side effects. And they say, in rare, rare occasions, taking this drug has resulted in a fatal event. I thought, oh, yeah, I just can't wait to take some of that. But here's the, there's a disclaimer in the Word of God. And this is why it doesn't work for some people. Did you know that? For some people, it doesn't work, and it tells you why. Verse 13, your words have been stout against me. Saith the Lord, ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? You've said it's vain to serve God. What good does it do to pay my tithes? And then I got all this trouble. Well, without a test, there can be no testimony. And sometimes you got to go through that fire, but Jesus will take you through it. And he'll be in there with you. He doesn't leave you alone. You've said it's vain to serve God. What profit is it? We have kept his ordinance and we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God, even are delivered. In Numbers 14, 28, the people were murmuring and complaining. And he said, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do. So will I do to you. Stand on God's word. He's faithful. Do not be moved by what you see. And as pastor said before, do not allow circumstances to redefine the word of God. Hold on to the promises Brother Shambach used to talk about. Hanging on to the horns of the altar and not give up. God is faithful. Amen. Um, I think they've already, anyone need an envelope? Okay, I'm going to pray and then have you come up and you want to bring the buckets up. Eternal Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to give tonight. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. I thank you, your mercy is new every morning. And I thank you, Lord, for providing for us as we are faithful to your word. And I give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.
Hallelujah. Praise God. Everybody said it's going to get cold, it's going to get this. Well, let's just wait on it. Amen. People prepare for that more than they do the coming of Jesus. Praise God. And they are more expectant. I mean, man, they're out buying. I've seen on Facebook, if you want groceries, you better get everybody's acting like it's a pandemic. And uh, in other words, they believe what somebody said. So uh, let's not believe it. Hallelujah. Praise God forever. Don't forget the uh, two Christmas Eve services, one at 4 o'clock and one at 6 o'clock. Um, that's on Saturday. And then on Sunday, yes, we're having church. Uh, Sunday morning, we're going to have church. And uh, you don't want it to be like we have a birthday party and nobody shows up. So we're going to be here. Hallelujah. All right, let's turn our Bibles tonight to Galatians, the third chapter and verse 5. Galatians 3, 5. Have you ever thought about a miracle? Most people think that miracles are just flukes just because something worked out. They think that they're just things came together. Some people would say, well, it's karma. Some people would say, you know... Uh, that uh, it's something that happened that I'm getting repaid for. And then other people, even Christians, really think that miracles are up to God. Are up to God. And that we are subject to, if God wants to give a miracle, He gives a miracle. Well, none of those are really true. Miracles are the work of of a thing called faith. Now, first, we want to define what a miracle is. Miracle, number one, is a divine intervention and a turnaround of circumstances or courses of actions that have been set in motion that you yourself could not stop. And the only way it's going to be turned around, the only way it's going to be stopped, the only way it's going to have a different outcome than what has been described is a miracle. And so today we're going to find out something about miracles. In Galatians 3, 5 it says, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you doth he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith notice that miracles by divine design are something that is a work it's a process it is an application to something for an end result in other words, you have to use your faith to produce a miracle. Miracles don't just happen. They don't fall out of the sky. They don't happen because God likes you, dislikes you. Uh, they don't happen because you've been good and naughty or nice. 
They happen because you have heard something. How do miracles happen? Number one, they have to be worked. In other words, you have to apply elements in order to cause it to happen. Everybody got that? You have to apply something. You can't just wish a miracle. Now we know we have these wish programs, you know, where people are going through struggles and so forth, have terminal diseases, and they get wish for a miracle. Well, we understand that, but has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with men and women putting their hands to something. The second thing about a miracle is you have to hear something. Now you have to hear faith or hear discover God's Word. Now it's not just you reading over it. Well, I listened to it on CD. Well, I listened to it on digital. You know, so many times people think because they heard something once that they've heard it. You haven't heard it at all. Hearing means that you take what God has said and you put your effort with it until that word is released as the voice of God. Now, this is the voice of God. But you don't get to hear this in your inner man, in your heart, to the point that your soul is transformed, knowing the will of God. In other words, you can hear Scripture lots of times, but if you don't apply yourself to listen to it, listen to it, you never hear what the Scripture is saying, and therefore you never know the will of God. Faith does not work in ignorance. It works in a solid base that you have discovered the will of God. And so when you hear that, guess what? When you hear what is in that promise that you're meditating, that you're thinking about, you're putting an effort to, when that voice speaks to you, you don't have to wonder what it means. You have just heard the voice of God. So this is what's called the Logos. And then when you hear that, it's called Rhema, the life-giving or the Zoe word of God. Now lots of people never hear that because they're always thinking about other stuff. You know, people come to church, get all dressed up, pay good money for clothes, and come and sleep. You know, they, but that's 
the precedent they're putting on the power of what they're hearing. They aren't hearing. And even as I'm talking right now, lots of you are not even hearing what I'm saying or you're not even planning on doing anything with it. Now that means that you're going to hear about miracles, but you're just never going to get one. Because traditionally, you've got your mindset that God will do what God wants to do despite what you do. And that is an absolute bold-faced lie. God will do what your faith determines for him to do. People say, well, God can do anything. Well, he can't save an unrepentant sinner. He can't heal an individual that will refuse to believe it. There's lots of things God can't do. He can't change you. You know, well, God knows everything. Well, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But see, we have all these preconceived ideas that keep us from miracles. So, how many of you would like to see God intervene into something in your life and really change it to line up with his will? Okay. The first place that that has to start is your willingness to apply yourself. It is your willingness to apply yourself. What do you think Lazarus did when Jesus crawled? Lazarus, come forth! You think he laid in there and said, well, they'll be here in a little while. He got up. But he did. He still got up. Well, he was wrapped. He still got up. Remember the man by the pool of Bethesda? He was a sinner. And Jesus comes in there and says, uh, well, take up thy bed. Well, I don't have anybody. Typical Christian response. I can't do anything. Somebody's got to do it for me. No, you don't put any left. Uh, uh, effort forward you're going to remain wherever you have landed now I'm, I'm not preaching to you that you know uh, you can't do anything I'm telling you that you can do all things through Christ that strengthens us so all the things that we've got going on that we don't like they aren't really uh negligent effect from God towards us it's our own laziness towards God yeah it, it's, it's absolutely true it is absolutely true and so the first thing you got to do is make sure that you're willing to apply yourself Somebody say, apply myself. apply myself. 
Now, we are great at applying ourselves of walking, confessing, working, and protecting our salvation. But when it comes to anything else, we are just not with it. In fact, Jesus told man, said, look, which is easier? Take up thy bed and walk or your sins be forgiven you. It's the same faith that would heal that man as it was to save that man. But it was up to him. He could use his faith for one or he could use it for both. Amen? So... Right now, that man is an example that he worked his miracle. He worked his miracle. And when Jesus said, take up thy bed, you know what? He got up some way, rolled over, picked his bed up, and he went home well. Now, it never had anything to do with Jesus. Now, I know that you say, oh, yeah, it had everything to do with Jesus. Well, Jesus brought the presence of God, but the man brought the faith in God. And one does not work without the other. So if you're going to see a miracle, you've got to be determined that I'm going to apply myself. I'm going to apply myself. You get lazy on your salvation and you backslide, guess what? Nobody's fault but your own. Nobody can keep you saved. You have to work out your own salvation. You have to keep your salvation. It is yours. You've got to protect it. You've got to grow it. You've got to root itself get rooted in it you have to make sure that it doesn't come under attack it's your responsibility backsliders backslide because they neglect to do what needs to be done well somebody hurt me get over it man you've been saved one day guess what you ought to be on the hurt list but I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter what anybody does. It's your responsibility to hold fast your faith. Amen? You can't blame your mishaps and failures on somebody else's attitudes, whether they're good or evil. You can't do it. You know, if I base my marriage on the attitude... I wouldn't be married because she has one, I have one. I think she's a couple more than I've got, but don't worry, it'll level itself out and even itself out. So you have got to take responsibility for miracles happening in your life. The second thing you have to do is you are going to have to look at the Scripture and see what God says 
that he desires to happen in your life. In other words, you have to know, discover, find God's will and then let that will become reality, unveiled, become spoken by God to your heart. That includes not just your inner man, your soul. And your mind will be renewed. When your mind is renewed, then faith can be released. Without a renewed mind, faith is not going to be released. Doesn't matter what God wants, but God, God wants lots of things. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants everybody to be saved. But God's not getting half of what he wants. Because people don't want what God wants. Well, God can do anything. No, he can't save a sinner that doesn't release faith. Just can't do it. You know, I've heard for years, well, you know, if God wants me saved, he'll save me. I've had people say that to me. I say, well, then you'll be a stupid person in hell. Because God's not going to force you to get saved. Have you heard this one? Well, if God wants me filled with the Holy Ghost, he'll just fill me. That's not true. Not true at all. Well, if God wants me healed, he'll heal me. That's not true at all. And so the second thing you have to do is go to the Scripture and start looking up what God has said that he will do in your situation. And then you need to start thinking about it, meditating it, eating it, mauling it over and over and over. You know that you could starve to death without chewing your food? Well, if I just get it to my stomach. Your stomach is one part of the process. But you're chewing, chewing and putting saliva into your food is what sets off your digestive system. You could starve to death in a grocery store without a can opener. Not that you aren't surrounded by food, not that you don't have food. But if you don't get it in you and allow your body to process that which is giving you life, you're going to die. You're just going to die. So I encourage you, marry somebody with big teeth. That if you get stuck into a grocery store, they can gnaw their way into your can and you can eat. But I'm telling you that Christians, not this group, number one, Christians really are lazy. God will show you the way out, and you won't do it. Well, how do I get out of poverty? You give your way out. Because that's what God multiplies. Well, I've been praying that God would make me debt-free. You're not going to get debt-free. 
you got to do what God told you to do. you got to sow a seed that he can multiply the seed that is sown. It is a process that you have to go through. So Christians think they're smarter than God. They go out, consolidate their bills. They go out and get a new zero uh, interest credit card. They do all these things. And I guess they're, they're wise things to do, but the wisdom of man will always bring you to a bondage. It will never free you into the glorious freedom of God. That can only happen by miracles happening and faith being applied. Amen? Amen? So, and the Bible says there's nothing impossible to God, but if you don't apply yourself, there are a million things that are not possible to God. Yeah, hallelujah. Aren't you glad you come? Now, do you remember when Jesus came walking to Peter on the water? I think it's in Matthew, the 14th chapter or 15th chapter. And... Uh, Peter cries out and says, Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come. Jesus said, come. Oh, Peter does what? Starts working his way to the edge of the boat. Peter works himself over the side of the boat. He gets down and he doesn't expect there to be an escalator he begins to walk towards Jesus. What's he doing? He's working a miracle. It's not happening without him. But Jesus is there. I know it. But as soon as Peter's faith gets off of Jesus, his miracle stops. So when you start working, when you start, when you've heard and you start applying faith, you have to keep it up. Have you ever seen a, oh, I don't know, a, um, what is it, the Guardians of the Galaxy? What a stupid movie. But I've seen it at night and uh, watched it. And, but they go through all these things, you know, they fly around trash dumps and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes I think that's how the heavens look between heaven and earth. Because God never denies a response to faith. Remember he told Daniel the first time you prayed. Daniel stuck with it for 21 days. That's a long time. Most people never make it till Monday with believing God has opened up the windows of heaven. They start when they leave church. Well, 
I don't guess we've got enough money to go out and eat, does it? Well, you, you know, well, we gave it all in tithes. Well, you know, well, we, I don't know how we're going to make it. And you stop your miracle. You do just like Peter did. You start looking at everything that's going on instead of looking at Jesus who said, come. Now, he's already proved people can walk on water because he's doing it. But Peter starts it. He's heard the voice. He's worked his way into applying himself. But then he starts looking around, and Jesus says, why'd you start doubting? The first step should have convinced him of the second. The second should have convinced him of the third. And the four. Now, I don't know how far out Jesus was, but I'll just bet you that Peter wasn't walking like this. He's probably walking, I'm a coming, Jesus. I'm a coming. I'm a coming. Oh, man, I'm a coming. I don't even know if the path was solid. I don't know if it was straight. Might have had a little whoo, whoo, whoo. Whoa, oh, Jesus. We don't know that. But what we do know is that there was enough inconsistency that Peter had to use his faith to keep going. And when the inconsistencies overcome his faith, he lost his miracle. How about when they were on the Sea of Galilee, they were crossing to the other side, and a storm rose up. Jesus asked them one thing. Where's your faith? Now, they started out in good intent. Jesus already told them the end of the journey. We're going to the other side. Why would anybody doubt the words of Jesus? Right? Circumstances? started looking, and what Jesus says is, where's your faith? In other words, you didn't need me. I gave you the faith to reach the other side. And we could go on and on and talk about all of the miracles that have been aborted or had happened in portion because people's faith stopped. What keeps your salvation alive? Your faith. You start going around telling everybody, well, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'll tell you what, I just, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm not worthy of anything. I'm just a sinner. Sometimes I think God's forsaken me. You keep saying that, you're going to be a sinner. But if you keep using your faith, you know what? God never gave up on me. I've sinned 1,500 times today, but God has still forgiven me. And every time I go around the block, I run into the same woman that's tempted me and made me sin. But God's forgiven me. I'm still a Christian. I'm serving the Lord. His grace is keeping me. You'll keep your salvation. But once your confession changes, your faith will stop your miracle. 
So, miracles are available to anybody. It says, he that worketh. Didn't say Peter that worketh. Didn't say John. Didn't say uh, Nicole. Didn't say David. Didn't say Steve. Didn't say Joe. Didn't say anything like that. So when he says, he or she that worketh miracles among you, then it tells me that anybody can work a miracle. Now, God does it, but it takes your application to have something different than what you have right now. Now, God will love the man that sleeps under a bridge. He's already expressed it on the cross. He will love people that are licked by dogs and eating somebody else's leftover. He did Lazarus. God will love you wherever you're at, and if you don't ever want a miracle, he'll still love you. He doesn't love you because you're getting miracles. He made miracles accessible because he loves you. But you don't ever have to do them. You don't ever have to have one. But miracles are available to you if you will work them. Apply yourself. Get mad, get sick, get fed up, get tired, get something that will motivate you. And then... Go to the scripture and say, what is God's will for me in this situation? Start reading the scriptures on it and let those scriptures start speaking to you as you are meditating, going over and over and over, chewing it, digesting it, examining it, thinking about it, saying it, and then one day it's going to speak to you. And when it speaks to you, faith has come. Now all you have to do is start declaring, saying, line up your actions with what God has said to you. And then you will see your miracle. It's up to you. Now, a lot of us raised our hands. I need a miracle. I want a miracle. Okay. Then, put effort in to change. Put effort in to change. Amen? Let's apply our self. And if you'll apply yourself, miracles will happen. Remember, humble yourselves, live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Miracles are a part of our nature. It's just that we have never accepted and made our nature 
to be changed. We keep thinking like the same old sinners that we were. So, let's just go after it. Let's just go after it. Amen? Hallelujah. Listen, I have been so blessed by using my faith. I ended up with a miracle home. I ended up with another miracle home. First miracle home was totally paid for. Then I ended up with a car. Then I ended up with a truck. Listen, there are lots of things that God is waiting to do for you. I remember one time I was believing God for a gun. And I opened my door on Christmas morning. Somebody knocked and I opened the door. I said, hey, man, how you doing? He said, doing great here. God told me to bring you this. It was a make I wanted, the model I wanted, at a price that I could afford, nothing. Then I told Phyllis one time several years ago, I was looking at a varmint rifle, and she said, we don't have no money for no gun. We've spent it all on Christmas. And I seen she had a little tin of green on her. Scrooge. And I said, Phyllis, I didn't ask you for any money. She said, well, we ain't got none. I said, okay. And so I said, you know what? I, I don't need money. I didn't ask you for any money. I was just thinking. So I came to church. And a guy came up to me. And he said, Pastor, have you been thinking about a gun? Ruger Mark 7 for varmints? Heavy barrel? I said, yeah, I have. He said, when I was coming here, the Lord told me. He said, son, the reason you bought that rifle many years ago and never put a scope on it is because I never had you buy it for yourself. I had you buy it for Pastor Dosak. So he brought the rifle into me. And I looked at Phyllis that Christmas Eve, one of the great, great victories of my life. And I said, Phyllis said no, and Jesus said yes. Now, those are just small things. But we're talking about that we could transform the human anatomy from sickness to health. Mental illness to stability. Addiction to freedom. Poverty to abundance. See, that is what Jesus did for us. Now, you can allow him to intervene, or you can live life by yourself. But six years from now, when I ask you, how's that working for you? You'll say, well, working pretty good. I'm just the same way I was 
when I heard you preach that message six years ago. Because you and I didn't do what God told us to do. All right, hallelujah. Well, that's all I got. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Some of you, I know that you're not going to make it on Christmas Eve. I hope you do. And, uh, or you might not make it on Christmas. I hope you do. But if you don't, I wish you a very merry, merry Christmas in the celebration of God's only begotten Son, the birth of the land that took away the sins of the world and redeemed mankind. Praise God. Keep Him the focus of your life, not just the season. Amen? Praise God. Stand your feet. Father, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. We are miracle people because you are a miracle God. It is our nature to be like you. We love because you're love. We give because you give. God, we encourage because you encourage. God, we bless because you bless. And then, Father, we thank you that without faith, it is impossible to please you. God, we must come to you Believe that you are and that you are a rewarder of those that diligently seek you. God, we are people of faith. Therefore, we are people of the miraculous. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Hallelujah.